So when you think of God's grace, is there a Bible passage that comes to your mind? For me, it's Ephesians 2, our text, and I think you'll see why when you uh, open your Bibles and turn to that, where Paul uh, goes into quite a bit of detail about God's grace, what it is, how we receive it, and how amazing it is. Ephesians chapter 2, the first ten verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Word of the Lord. One of the joys of my work here at Hillcrest is when Sue and I have the opportunity to make a new baby visit. So we go to the young couple's home, we meet their new baby, congratulate them on the birth, and my wife gets to hold the baby, generally speaking, because she likes a baby fix, as I call it. Some of you may be new parents, or maybe you're new grandparents, and so you get to spend time with a baby regularly. And you know that babies can do almost nothing for themselves. They can't feed themselves, they're not potty trained, they can't dress themselves, they can't even tell us what it is they want or need. They can just cry, and we're left to figure it out. Because they're so little, they really can't do much of anything except eat and sleep and eliminate waste. That's about it. They just depend on their parents or a caregiver to do everything that they need. And that's how they live and survive and thrive. When it comes to salvation, it seems to me we're a little bit more like babies than we like to think. There's not a lot in the story of salvation that we accomplish ourselves. It's the grace of God and His work. Verse 1 states this clearly. Why don't we read it together out loud? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. Like babies, dead people don't do much either. 
In fact, they can't do anything for themselves or anyone because they're dead. That's a pretty strong word that Paul uses to describe us pre-Jesus. We're dead. We are spiritually dead without Christ. Paul says in verse 3 that if we don't have Christ in our lives, the devil easily influences us so that we gratify the cravings of our sinful nature and we follow its desires and thoughts rather than that of God and the Spirit like we talked about this morning. We live a life of sin, self-centeredness, and we're not even really aware that it's sin because we don't know any better. That's just normal for someone who doesn't know Jesus. And that's how you live. And you don't ever think about changing your ways. That's just the way life is. Life without Jesus, without grace, is just living in spiritual darkness. Many, many people fall into this category, unfortunately. They can have lots of things. They can look outwardly like they're doing great, but they're living in spiritual darkness, unfortunately. Danny Harris is an example of this. Danny Harris and his younger brother were apparently having car trouble alongside of a road one night when 21-year-old Timothy Merka stopped as a good Samaritan. He noticed the car was broken down, the hood is up. He stopped to see if he could offer some help. But it turns out Danny Harris and his brother weren't broken down. They were looking to rob someone. So when Timothy stopped, they beat him up, left him dead, grabbed his wallet, stole his truck, and took off. They were caught. They were convicted of murder. They were sentenced to death. And so they spent some time on death row. They are examples of those who are dead in their transgressions and sins. So is a guy named Wesley Dodd. Wesley Dodd is a child molester from the state of Washington. He would kidnap, abuse, and murder young boys. That's what he did multiple times. He too was caught and convicted and sentenced to death for murder. Danny Harris and Wesley Dodd, two extreme examples of people who are dead in their sins and transgressions, living a life following their sinful nature, not ever occurring to them not to. And they reaped the consequences of that. Now, those are maybe extreme examples. Most people who are dead in their sins and transgressions don't commit those kinds of sins that would put them behind bars, but they're no less self-centered, looking out for themselves and for whatever they can get in this life, not usually having any interest in God, but maybe living decent lives by human standards, but spiritually speaking, dead. So that's sort of the bad news of this text. You may have noticed it. There's a heaviness, there's a darkness describing all of this in those first few verses. But then you get that 
word but in verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So God is the initiator here. God gives us life. It doesn't say, now, because these people sort of came to their senses, they became seekers of God, and then they finally invited Jesus into their heart. No, it doesn't say, and they met up with some real strong Christians who convinced them to give their life to Jesus, and they did. No, it it doesn't work that way. It doesn't start that way, at least. God is the initiator. God has to do something or dead people stay dead. But because of His great love for us, God made us alive with Christ. Our boys' ministry here at Hillcrest is called Boys for God. And our girls' ministry is called Girls for God. Used to be it was called Boys for God and Gems, not too long ago. And then way back a little further, it was called Cadets and Kelvinettes. Anyone ever been a cadet or a Kelvinette? Me too. In fact, fun fact, when I was in fourth grade, I was Cadet of the Year. You should be impressed. It was an amazing achievement for a fourth grader. You don't just get to be Cadet of the Year. You have to earn it. You have to earn the most merit badges of any other kid in the club for that year. And I did that one year. I worked my tail off. You had to do merit badges, they're called, right? Do any of you remember merit badges? There's a a project you have to do. There's stuff you have to study and read about. Stuff you have to do to, to earn that badge. And then you get that badge and you put it on the thing and it gets on your shirt or on, if you're a girl, same thing, merit badges, different sorts of projects, but the same thing. They're not handed out for free. You've got to work at it. You've got to learn something. You've got to prove you know something and have mastered something and then you get the badge. Merit badges. That's how lots of people view heaven. Like a merit badge. You're a good person, you go to church, you do a few good things, you avoid some of those big sins like murder and adultery, and voila, you earn your way into heaven. But they figure people like Danny Harris and Wesley Dodd, well, they're not going to make it. God doesn't let murderers and child molesters just waltz their way into heaven. They haven't earned the right to be there. They're not good people, we would say. Only good people go to heaven and bad people don't. That is a very common theology in our day and age. Do you think that that's what the Bible says? Bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. You've got to earn your way there. You've got to be good or you don't make the grade. That is not at all what the Scripture says, despite popular belief. Verses 4 and 5, let's read it together. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. In other words, good people don't necessarily go to heaven. Bad people don't necessarily go to hell. It's only forgiven people who go to heaven and unforgiven people go to hell. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, all of your sins, no matter what they are or were, have all been paid for. That's the grace of God. We are saved by grace. Remember Danny Harris? He spent 16 years on death row because he murdered someone. Before he was executed, he came to know Jesus. Amazing. Some people do when they're in prison. Many people, actually. Moments before he was executed, this is what he said. I plead with all of the teenagers to stop the violence and to accept Jesus Christ and find victory. Interesting statement. A profession of faith of sorts. A witness to Jesus. As for Wesley Dodd, the child molester, he also came to faith before he was executed. He confessed his sins, he put his faith in Jesus, and even expressed the hope of possibly meeting his victims someday when he would go to heaven. And this is what he said before he was executed. I was asked by somebody if there was any way sex offenders could be stopped. I said no. I was wrong. I said there was no hope, no peace. There is peace. There is hope. I found both in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you feel about that? Deathbed conversions, we call them. How do you feel about spending heaven with child molesters and murderers? Is there anything in you that just sort of stops for a moment and goes, hmm, that doesn't seem fair. It's like they haven't really earned it. There comes that bad theology again. You've got to earn it somehow. That's kind of what we lapse into because that's the way the world thinks of this. But that's not the good news of the gospel. That's not grace. None of us deserves to go to heaven. No matter how light we think our sins are, we don't deserve to go to heaven. We all deserve to go to hell. We deserve the wrath of God. That's the natural state of everybody, and that is just and fair. And by God's miraculous grace, that doesn't happen to some of us. He reaches out to us and plucks us out of the kingdom of darkness, gives us the ability to recognize and repent of sin and confess faith in Jesus. And we're saved. We're saved by grace. Not works, so nobody can ever boast. I lived a better life than you did. I deserve heaven and you don't. It's not about that. It's about Jesus and what He's done for us. So we're saved by grace. But what does that mean exactly? Some people, when they hear that word grace, they think, well, God is just a big softy. As long as you live a decent life, no matter what you believe, God lets you into heaven. 
And those people are wrong too. Because like we keep saying, it's not about how we live. It's about God's grace. Verses 6 and 7. Look at how many times Christ is mentioned in these two verses. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, without Jesus, nobody stands a chance. I don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance. Without Jesus, we're all doomed. It's only through Jesus that God extends grace to us. It's only through Jesus we find forgiveness. It's only through Jesus that anybody makes it into heaven. So this text makes it clear we're saved by grace, not by what we do. Pretty clear from this text of Scripture, actually. And this grace is available to us only through Jesus. That's the way in. So how do you get this grace of Jesus? If that's what we need, if that's the key, how do we get it? Do we have to do something? Do we have to say something? Do we have to believe something? Well, verse 8 says, let's read it out loud. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are saved through faith, it says. Well, then what is faith? If faith is what it takes, we better understand what that is if that's what it takes for us to receive God's grace. And Hebrews 11 defines faith like this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, faith is trusting what you can't prove. It's relying or trusting in someone that you don't maybe even know. It's what babies do. The world is a confusing place to a baby, I suspect, if they can think that kind of thought. But they don't seem to worry about it because the people who are in charge of them take care of them. They do everything. They feed them when they're hungry. They change their diapers when needed. They hold them and comfort them when they're in distress. And they just trust their parents. Or caregiver. They don't have a care in the world. They're just babies. We practice that kind of faith too without always even recognizing it. So let me ask you a series of questions to help you see how much faith you actually have in your daily life. So how many of you driving down the highway stop before an overpass to get out of your car and inspect the overpass to make sure it's structurally sound so it doesn't fall down on your car as you cross underneath it. Nobody does that. How many of you buy meat from the meat department at the store or from the local butcher? You get a quarter or half cow. How many of you then go to a lab and make sure that that meat is certifiably good and isn't infected with something that's going to kill you before you feed it to your family? No one. How many of you 
if you come down with something, some infection or who knows what, something's going on in your body, you go to your doctor, the doctor diagnoses you, gives you a prescription, and you say, no, I insist on going to the hospital and getting a full blood workup and an MRI because I'm not sure you know what you're doing. Maybe one of us might do that, but probably not. We live by faith every single day. We live by faith. And even people who don't know Jesus, we all live by faith. We just don't call it that, but we do it all the time. We trust that those engineers who look at those overpasses every so often, they know they're structurally sound or they shut it down. We trust the meat inspection process in our country. And every once in a while, there's a glitch and a big notice goes out. Don't have that meat. Bring it back. Otherwise, we're good to go. And we have faith in our family doctor that they know what they're doing most of the time, thankfully. That's what it is to have faith. And that's what Christianity asks of us. We don't have to do anything for God. We just have to trust. Just have to believe. We put our faith in Jesus, especially when it comes to our eternal destiny. We believe that He is who He said He was. The Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We believe it. We believe His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, just like the Apostle Paul and others teach. And knowing and believing these things gives us a lot of comfort, a lot of peace, and a lot of love and gratitude for God, for what He's done for us. It's that simple. It's faith. It's trust. So question and answer 60 and 61 in the Catechism talk about this. Uh, let me read the question and we'll read the answer together. How are you right with God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having previously sinned against all God's commandments, and have never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Amen. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's where we get that, from that catechism answer. Just as if we'd have the perfect righteousness of Christ Himself. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. It's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of grace. And then question 61. Why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? It's not because of any value my faith has that God receives of me. Only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me right with God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith. Faith in Jesus is what it's all about if you are a Christian. That's what it's all about. 
And that's why we have to pray for those who are walking in darkness. Because they don't know they're walking in darkness. Something has to happen deep inside of them somewhere. A light bulb has to go on so that they can identify sin for what it is. A light bulb has to go on that there is a way out of this if they believe in Jesus. There is forgiveness for all those things you've done and said. There is. It's good news. But unless God begins that work of grace in their heart, they're going to continue in this direction. And that's why we always want to pray for the people we know. People we work with, people we live next door to who just don't know. They just don't know any better. That's exactly where we would be if the Holy Spirit hadn't, hadn't gotten a hold of us. It's a miracle of grace. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. And that makes Christianity unique among all world religions. Other religions are all about what we have to do for God. We've got to earn it. We've got to atone. We've got to work hard at something. Christianity is about what God has done for us. There's no other religion that teaches that. Other religions are human attempts to work our way to heaven. Christianity says heaven is a free gift offered to anybody who wants it. You just have to believe. Other religions are all about trying harder. Christianity is about relying. Just relying and trusting on the One who's already done it for us. And that's why Christianity is the only religion that holds out any hope for murderers like Danny Harris or child molesters like Wesley Dodd, or quite frankly, for anyone like you or me. Because none of us deserves to go to heaven. None of us deserves to have this gift of faith. It's a miracle of God's grace. It's a miracle of God's grace that you are here tonight interested in hearing about this, interested in knowing more, interested in growing in your faith. That is a miracle of grace. We ought to be really thankful that God is at work in us, allowing us this faith and belief and trust in Jesus. That, friends, is the miracle of grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for helping us to appreciate once again what a miraculous thing this is that there is anybody on earth who believes, anyone who confesses Jesus as their Savior. It is just our natural state not to do that. To just go our merry way and think we're fine. And Lord, our hearts break because that's exactly the position so many people are in. We pray for them tonight. We intercede for them and we pray that Your Spirit will allow that switch to be turned in their heart. That they'll come to see themselves for who they are and to see You for who You are. Thank You for the miracle of grace in our hearts. Thank You for the miracle of grace in our family members' hearts. It truly is a, an amazing thing this miracle You've done for us in forgiving us and giving us the promise of eternal life with You.
in spite of the fact that none of us deserve it. We're so grateful. And we offer our prayers and thanks.